Hello, and welcome to episode one of the Wound Flat Out podcast. I'm Quentin Wilson with my longtime friend and co-host Jarrett Bean. We are a new podcast bringing you the latest news and sharing our opinions about the MotoGP paddock. Jarrett, how are you doing? <clears throat> Quentin, I'm good, man. It's, uh, it's, it's been a good 2018 season. A lot to talk about going into testing, uh, but I'm ready to get into it, man. Let's just let's, uh, let's get our feet wet. Let's start talking. Yeah, no, for sure. I think we are uh, on the precipice of one of the best seasons uh, that, that has ever been seen at, at the high level uh, of MotoGP. And I think this is a really good time for us to be beginning this podcast to start talking about it because, man, there's going to be a lot going on, right? So Absolutely. for this, we just got to witness the first two tests of the two 2019 season at uh, Valencia and Jerez, and there was a lot going on. You want to talk about basically set the stage for some of the injuries that happened uh, beforehand and or during. I don't think there was any injuries at the test themselves. There were some crashes, but no major stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, going back to the 2018 season with injuries coming at a bad time in the year, you definitely got to highlight Cal Crutchlow. I mean, Laying it down, going into turn one at Phillip Island is, and going in feet first is is absolutely brutal into that gravel trap. And uh, he actually called into the uh, Valencia test to talk to the to the uh, Matt Burton, Steve Day, and he actually said that he he broke his tibia and fibia in one and one leg uh, and dislocated his ankle in the other. And you know the surgery to repair it, they put screws and plates and. He's got artificial bone in there and he's got to stay off of his, he can't put weight on his ankle for six weeks and it's, that's poorly timed and it's, it's, it's a horrific injury to come back from with having to have fake bone put in there, you know, and it kind of puts Honda, uh, behind the eight ball a little bit, but uh, yeah, that's, that's worth talking about because a lot of people are like, well, you got Martin Marquette, like, so who, who cares? He's fine. It's like, nah, you got to have more opinions than just one. As awesome as Mark is, Cal brings a he, – he's been riding that bike for a long time, and he has had a significant uh, level of input for Honda, and he has been hauling ass on it, right? It's not like we're talking about somebody that's way off the back of the pack, right? Yes, and Cal – the uh, the importance of Cal's feedback was rewarded with the fact that he has an HRC contract and he has a factory bike. Like, yeah. I mean, you can't argue with that. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, Cal was probably Honda's number two rider in front of Danny. Yeah. Yeah, that's legit for sure. Danny had fallen off so much. And I think they also realized that they're not going to be able to find flying fleas like Danny everywhere. You're going to have to make a bike that also works with a little bit larger stature, right? Well, that and... uh I think they they may have gotten burned on Danny. Like, not saying Danny was a bad rider, but that whole you know they made those they changed the rules and made the bikes a little bit, the bike capacity a little smaller. And but when they when they went back to the you know the the big thousand cc bike, like he just it, it worked okay on the Bridgestones, and he he had you know good seasons on the Bridgestones. But there was also seasons that you have to sprinkle in there where Honda as a manufacturer, had the advantage over everyone else. Because they had the, the seamless gearbox first, and that's, you know, that 
contributed to Mark Marquez winning what 13 races that, that season and was that 20, 2014 or whatever when he won yeah. a ridiculous amount of races. And and what you're saying though is that Danny never really came came with it at that time and it was apparent that Mark was uh, far and above better and Honda's focus but Danny probably because again being a, a Spanish rider on the Repsol team probably was given a, a little bit more leeway than he should have over the course of years. Well, and that debate always came up of Honda needs to get rid of Danny, but no one really had an answer as to who you would put on there instead of Danny. You yeah. know, there's not a, there's not a, there's not a tremendous amount of people that that know how to set up a GP bike so that they can, you know, as you said, dance it around a racetrack loose. You know, Danny was was very unique in the way that he rode and it's you know he should be applauded for what he did at his size you know like i mean the guy's five foot two you know like oh I don't, yeah <laughs> like I, I don't i don't even know many women that are that short you know like he's a little bitty human being and, and that little know, bittiness is good that's horsepower but it also how he, he would have to overcome many obstacles to be able to toss around any blue ribbon bike whether it be a 500 grip grand prix bike one of the old 990s the 800 didn't matter he was still having to muscle the things around that dude is probably a ball of muscle and he was pretty good in a lot of scenarios but his time had come and going back to our original conversation his development probably wasn't as critical relative to cal's and mark's so they they had these two riders that are a little bit looser a little bit more wild and were able to tame the 2017 bike, which was, I think everybody Dude. knows, kind of a piece of shit. Well, I shouldn't say a piece of shit. That's a that's an extreme no, the 20, thing. The 2015 bike was a piece of crap. Okay, well, the 17 was still difficult to ride, and that's what I think what uh, Nakagami has been on even this year, right? It was kind of an so older... Was, yeah, so was Morbidelli and Tom Ludi. They were also on that bike. Right, and not, and it's I, just, I'm not saying it's horrible, but it won't. it wasn't good. And then, as I think, as evidence uh, by Taka getting on the 18 and running roughshod on the on the test this this week is is yet another example of why that the the new bike is so much better. And it sounds like it was mostly just power, right? It was just a power production thing, and that could be I shouldn't say power; it's engine. So it could be it's, engine it's, braking or it's power, power. It's it's power delivery. It's it's the first touch on the, of the throttle was just too aggressive, right? So this like, is. This is an example of how Cal was probably able to put his opinions in to help them figure out how to make it more rideable over the course of the years that he's been with it. So losing him at this node is a pretty big deal. But with that said, they obviously are on the right path, right? Honda's already well, and, there. Well, and not only did they lose Cal for, you know, a, another set of testers, they lost Danny. They got, yeah. you know, they they don't have they don't have Cal. They got they gained Jorge, and they have Nakagami, who's been on a, a year-old bike. And Mark Marquez has has really been hiding how much that shoulder has been bothering yeah. him and and hindering him. Like, there's a the 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 latest video on the MotoGP uh, app. It showed that that he he said himself that it, it wasn't that he was saving the tire in races. Like he was saving his strength because he was because <laughs> like. There were yeah. times where his shoulder was in such bad shape that he couldn't train the way that he wanted to, so he had to conserve energy through the race. 
And it yep. was it had less to do with with tire management and more to do with with managing his energy throughout the race and dealing with the pain. And him having surgery, I think in early December, to to fix that shoulder. I mean, after a, a surgery like that on something as delicate as a shoulder, yeah. I mean, how how fit is he going to be in Malaysia for the for that test? And how willing is he going to be to push in Phillip Island when they go test there? But the one thing that that makes Marquez great, in my opinion, is his ability to compartmentalize things. The example is the Mizano qualifying session. He crashed, laid, you know, just destroyed the bike, ran to the scooter, got a ride back to the paddock, uh, ran through the motorhomes back into the back of his garage, got on his second bike, went back out. And from crash to him heading out of the pits was less than four minutes, and he puts the bike on pole. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, that ability to say, all right, man, I know in that corner, if I go 101%, I'm going to throw it down. Yep. So I'm going to go to 100.8 and put it on pole <laughs> and show everybody that I'm still the man. You know, and like yeah. that, Yeah. that happened. I was at that, uh, that race in Coda. Where the bike shut down on him, the, yeah. the, the bike came on and it shut down, and he jumped the pit wall and sprinted down pit lane and jumped on his other bike and went out and broke the lap record on his first flying lap. It's like, come on, man! Like, how do you do that? Nobody knows. That's why he's <laughs> what he is right now, for sure. Well, dude, not not only that, but then which race was it just recently where he dislocated his shoulder? And still went back out, and I don't think he was able to to do the no, miraculous, he, put it on pole. He, but he, he put it yeah. on the second row, though. <laughs> he still got out there. It's like I I'm unfortunate enough to have recently, within the last year, dislocated my shoulder by high siding a bike at a small flat track race up here in, in Oregon. And I did manage to get it back into place while I was there. And I, I did get back out stupidly and ride back around a bit. And maybe it was two years ago. Jeez, it all goes by so fast. So I know what it's like, and I know you can, but I also know what it felt like for the days afterwards, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I know it's possible, and I understand the structure of what you got going on. There's, the, there's shoulder stuff. And then there's dislocation and there's the shoulder, all the ligamature and tendons and whatnot. And I, I think I just happened to pop my shoulder out and not do any major permanent damage. And that's how I was able to just get it back into place by laying down and kind of working it in and then um, getting back out and riding around. But oof, yeah, the next week, holy crap. So that's what he's dealing with. Multiple times, I could see where that's probably pretty risky. It's starting to really screw up that that ball joint and all the stuff that's around it, trying to hold it in. Yeah, and so, he's 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 admitted to having it, it pop out and uh, riding at home on his dirt yeah. bike. He's had it pop out during tests. I mean, geez, when he celebrated with Scott Redding at, when he won the championship in in Japan, he put his arm around cat or put his arm around Scott Redding, and his shoulder dislocated. Yeah. Once you know, it happens, it's a lot, there's a propensity for it to happen again. All the stuff's loose, right? Well, oh. and that's that's the 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 thing that that kind of worries me about Luca Marini is that he is he's had it on two separate occasions this season. He had his shoulder pop out of socket while he was sleeping. 
<laughs> he rolled yeah. he rolled over yeah. awkwardly and dislocated his shoulder twice in his sleep. I'm like Jesus man. <laughs> and and Luca, so that everybody knows who we're talking about, that's Rossi's stepbrother, is that right? Yes. And he is he came on strong at the end of the season in Moto Two, right? Yes. So pretty impressive. Skyrider. Interesting well, case, but I was ha- I was so happy for that guy to finally see him start getting results because I personally was just so sick of hearing, yeah, he only got that right because he's Valentino Rossi's half-brother. It's like, yeah, sure, maybe, but he proved to everybody that he belongs there. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. But we're going to get off topic if we, we go too far yes, down that. Yes, that's why, so. that's, that's why I just kind of stopped it right there. So okay, let's jump. In, let's jump into uh, we've we've gotten through some injuries and you know what's you know how that's going to hold teams back with their testing programs and what have you. But let's talk about these uh, the the new teams on the grid. All right, let's start with uh, the Yamaha team, which for me was the most impressive. The Patronus team, right? Yes, Holy and uh, they 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 definitely got themselves a. A hot shot with Franco Morbidelli. I think that was a slam dunk for them, uh, dude. In a half, but, like he was, <laughs> he was sixth every day. Which you know, I know mean, there's a lot of people moving and shaking around, and he was just sitting there consistent. And I really hadn't spent much time listening to to Franco. So to uh, after this test, listening to him and a and a getting interviewed. What a great personality! Super laid back. Obviously, very thoughtful. I'm really stoked to see this guy come up for sure. He's he's got a weird uh, ethnic background. I think his I think his mom is Portuguese and his dad's Italian. Yeah, he's got like this weird South American laid back seaside Italian guy vibe to him. That's just it's you know, cool, and man. He's got, and he's got that sweet Jerry curl dog. It's just. <laughs> This is true. It's good. And I, I didn't really know because I'd only watched him ride. You watch him ride, especially coming up in the ranks, I thought he was just another wild child. But to see him in this way and take such a metered approach, but also be so stinkingly fast on a bike that Valentino Rossi is not going very fast on, I know and you know that it is one lap wonders with these Yamahas, and they're good at getting that one lap. But even then, the fact that he was able to jump off that very difficult to ride Honda and get on this smooth flowing Yamaha, and it just showed obvious maturity. He's good to go, and that team just out of the blue. I shouldn't say it's out of the blue. I would assume that there was a lot of trickle down from a couple of other teams that have come in to make that's a very strong team. Well, the fact that they're there already is obviously good, but it's not like we're well, trickling down from Tectois, right? It's well, not he, like that. He, well, yeah, that that Yamaha Patronus team is run by uh, the former Yamaha factory employee Wilco Zeelenberg. Is it really uh, okay? Well, that yes. makes sense. Sure. And uh, Franco Morbidelli has Lorenzo Zolacruci for Ramon Forcada. Yes, which is of note because he came from being the crew chief of Maverick, and a, apparently that was a bit of a helter skelter relationship because the I think uh, Maverick has proven to be a bit of a, a hot, heady character. So it's going to be interesting to see that if, if this relaxed environment will be good for both of them, not only the rider, but the Gucci, which does help. Yeah, I, I think I think Ramon Forcada and uh, Franco Morbidelli is a match made in heaven. 
I, I think it is. I think their personalities are going to mesh well. And I think their approach, along with, dang it, I can't remember his name now, but Peko Benyaya and his crew chief, their relationship is very much the same. And their approach to what is going on is very much the same. Like they're, they're always going out on, um, on used tires. When they make changes to the bike, they let the rider know what they're doing so that he understands what the changes are and how it affects the bike. Yeah, you know, that's a big deal that, for sure. Those, those little things like that are going to go a long way. And I think Peko Benyai is going to give a lot of people a lot of problems mid-pack to next year. Well, but he, and he's not on a new team. He's just new to the existing Promac team, right? Yeah, and I, that was a tangent, and I'm sorry. Let's let's jump to uh, uh, Herve Poncharel's Tech 3 team leaving a 20-year relationship with Yamaha and going to KTM. Yes, this is a big deal. And, and Jared, you have to say, I, kn- I know you're Texan, you got to say Tech 3, right? It's got to be 3. Tech 3. Tech 3. Sorry. <laughs> I will say Tech 3. I don't know whether to, you know, it's like, well, you kind of have to anglicize it a little bit so it's easy just it says tech three right but yeah, you know, like, no. it's, it's it's not even written written out twa like it's a number three yeah so you have to say twa 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 good old hervey do do hervey a favor right is that how you say hervey Hervé. <laughs> so Hervé. bottom line is they they jump ship in a big way in a very scary way to kentucky trail monkey right good old kentucky trail monkey kick till monday <laughs> Right. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this goes down, because right now it ain't looking too good. But but I have faith. Well, and it's on paper, it looks real bad, but you have to you and, and you have to factor in that you have three guys. You have four riders in that two rider team and in, in that team with the KTM factory team yeah. and the Tech KTM, you know, team. Happy Siren's never ridden a KTM. Zarko's never ridden a KTM. And neither is Miguel Oliveira. Three of your four riders have never ridden that bike before. So there, it's going to be an adaptation process. And it's going to be an uphill battle because now you only have one consistent person in the team. Which and is- he isn't even that great as far as a... It's not like you're talking about even somebody adjacent to an alien... Poles fast. It was amazing they got on the podium and uh, at the final round. But he is not a linchpin by any means, I don't think. So to have well, him, the only one that's consistent, it's like, oh, man, that's going to be gnarly. And you're going to have to put a lot of faith in Zarko's ability to help. And your test rider destroyed his knee midway through the season and you know had that ridiculous knee surgery to repair, repair ligaments. Tendons. You're talking about Mika? Mika Kali, yes, yep. yes, yes, and uh, on top, and you know, you can't forget about the fact that Polo Spargo crashed this season and suffered a spinal injury that left him with numbness in his legs. Oh, like that happened. Like you can't, you can't just, you can't turn your back to that and say like, yeah, he's fine. He, you know, he's, <laughs> no. Steve English always says the the most important part of a of on a racetrack is the six inches between a rider's ears, and laying down laying down a bike and coming away from that with a broken collarbone and inflammation in your spine that left you with numbness in your legs and an inability to move them. You don't just bounce back from that. You don't just bounce no. back from that and 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 push at the limit. You can't do that. 
And yeah, it's it's uh, gonna take a, a, a finely tuned torque wrench to to tighten the loose nut behind the bars on that one for sure. Yes. And you know, I don't I don't think it's an impossibility, but I don't you know, I, I think I think Paul's gonna replace his brother at Aprilia next in the next two years. I don't I don't think he's gonna be around much longer. I don't I don't think I'm not saying that they don't value him, but I don't I just don't see the point. <laughs> well, the point may, might be that he, he maybe he just needed the mental uh, uptick that he got from getting on the podium, even if it was in weird conditions, and maybe that'll help. But it does suck to go from that high to a test where they are scraping the bottom of the barrel. Uh, but at the same time, like you're saying, it's all new people. Everybody's kind of getting there, going to gel together. And hopefully they did the, what they needed to do, not focusing on a lap time. Focusing on testing to get the bike to where it'll be rad when it goes to Malaysia in February. Yeah, and it's it's a weird thing. It's a weird it's a weird environment for all those guys to be in. But like you said the other day about Ducati with data mining, uh, KTM like the the Tech Three teams not on last year's bikes. They're all on 2019 bikes. Yeah. They're all on the same yeah. spec of bike. It's name so only. The 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 team the Tech Twa team. It's basically there to get the grid positions. It's it's in name only. The it's all factory. Yeah, yeah. So they're all on twenty nineteen bikes, which is good, so that they're all you know focusing on on one thing. You know, like all right, what do we need? What is what is the consistent thing across everybody's? We need to fix a list. You know, so let's start working on those things and get everybody up. I think Johan Zarco is is struggling with the fact that. He's finally realizing how difficult it is to be a team leader. Um, and you don't think he saw that this past year? No, because he wasn't a team leader. So what was Tech Twa going to get from Yamaha as far as development goes, other than nothing? Oh, because, I see what you mean. Okay. Because because like he didn't have to develop that bike. That's why yep. it was his his first year. Uh, was it twenty uh, seventeen? That Hon that Yamaha was pretty well sorted. Yeah. Or no 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 no. Yeah, I guess it was 2017 because he yeah. was on the 20. He was on the 2016 bike. Yeah, and when he was first sorted. came in, and it was arguably yeah. better than the 2017, which is why he was able to come out swinging, right? Yes, and he led the first race for eight laps. As the season went on, his results went down because there's no development on that bike. Yeah. It's not. It's not that he went down. It's that everybody else got better. And that now, was, and I, I think he's realizing now. It's like, hey, man, this bike's not what this this bike's not going to win races next year. You're not going to be on the podium next year. You know, aside from Pulse finish in Valencia, they didn't even did they have a top ten finish this season? <laughs> That's a good question. That's a stat. I mean, the a, fact, the fact that I'm, you have I'm, to ask means that it was pretty dire either way, right? Yes, and and like and they almost took a step backwards because they. Because everyone else got quicker except them. So they, it looked like their results didn't get better, but they just, as a team, I don't think they got better. Let's talk about what happens once Danny gets on the bike and starts helping them, right? I'm not going to put my eggs in any of that basket until I see, <laughs> until I see how motivated Danny is. Yeah. yeah. No, it goes to our conversation earlier about Danny. It's like, well, are they, well, they just need an ass in a seat that is fast. And even if that ass is a teeny, teeny little ass, right, they they need somebody to help. And another rider of that caliber is going to help them, I think. Yes. And I and what's his name? The team leader there, Mike Leitner, he's worked with Danny in the past at Honda. 
And he has said that the reason that he chose Mika Calio to be his test rider was because of his size. And he couldn't use his physical attributes to, to mask issues with the bike. Like any little minute issue with yeah. the bike, he would feel and it would affect him because of his size. And that's why he wanted Mika Calio. And I think, you know, and it's my opinion, but I think that's why he wanted Danny was because yeah. it's another it's another small in stature rider who is very he has very sensitive feel and is gonna know every minute thing that is wrong with the bike just by riding it once, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there and there's a double edged sword with that. He might know that, but then how how do you take that information and make it so that it helps make the, the bike better. Oh, you know, it, I know we all know it can happen. It's just in, in that scenario, it, more data is good. So that, that's why I go yeah, back to more, my original more, thing. Yeah. More data is always good. And like I said, it's, it's, you know, happy siren never set the world alight anyway, you know, not, yeah. not nothing, nothing against the guy. So, you know, it's understandable to think that it's going to take him longer to adapt and figure it out. The same with yeah. Miguel Oliveira. He's a rookie. You know, yeah. like he's he's never ridden a, a GP bike. He's never ridden carbon brakes. He's always carried corner speed. He doesn't, you know, he's he's never had to ride a bike that was kind of dive it into the corner and stand it up as quick as possible and get on the throttle. You know, he looked a little shell shocked in his interview, dude. Out of all the riders, you know, you you saying that, but then you get somebody like Peko. Um, who got out there? Pecco looks like he's been there forever. Oh my God, <laughs> he's so impressive, and uh, and he was nine, right? Because he's he's just kind of like taking it as it comes, and he but he's on a, a really good bike. He's he we know that that's a good bike, and this uh, interestingly, who's the Suzuki rider? Mir, Juan Mir. Um, mm -hmm. You say you have to say Juan, right? Juan Mir. Juan Juan Mir. Juana say Juan, yeah. So Juan Mir. <laughs> um, Super good as well. Like, holy shit. Super mature. Was able to do like what you're saying. Both of those guys from the momentum classes to the point and shoot motherfucker class. Um, interesting to for them. And, and listening to them talk about how... Uh, and it was very good. The interviewers always spoke with the uh, rookies about the, who did they get to ride around? And, and what was their impressions? Because it makes good sound bites. Because they get to talk about when so-and-so passed them or whatever. And it was very interesting to to get both of their takes on that in the video that MotoGP posted. So for back to it was really, um, it was really funny. It was really funny with with, with Pecco when he's like, "Yeah, I followed Lorenzo, I followed Dovi, and I followed Petrucci for as long as I could, but man, they were just too fast." <laughs> yeah, he was like three corners. I followed for Petrucci for three corners. He probably followed him on the lap that he was the fastest the first day, and Petrucci. He's, you know, he's a badass. So it's it's impressive to see what he's doing. So of course you can only take so much. But the the maturity for him was though I would rather follow somebody that's on a bike like mine. He wanted to follow the Ducati riders. He it was taking him a while to say it, but that was kind of what I gathered yeah. from. He, uh, he his, wanted his he wanted to he wanted to follow building. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You want to follow your your countrymen, right? It, he it's was, not even about your countrymen. It's just about. That guy's on the bike that I want to be on. <laughs> he was almost – he was in the championship lead for sure. But I think there's a little bit of countrymen there as well because that's kind of a – I look at all of this with that view that there's a lot of that going on, whether it be the Repsol, Honda, Spanish Connection, or the Ducati. Dude, Ducati with two Italian riders in a position to be a championship level winning 
it's like uh, the wet dream that they all wanted to see when Rossi came to them nearly a decade ago that was, was an abject failure. So now we're finally starting to see it all come together with Dovizioso and with, uh, with uh, Petrucci and Pecco, and to see all these Italians. And, and Valentino's camp is working. It's working. It's bringing these people up. And you're finally starting to see the red, white, and green uh, next to the yellow and red um, when you see the names and, and flags, right? Well, um, and, it's, so- and, and, and Rossi's involvement with that VR46 Academy and all those young Italian riders, it's not even the fact that, yeah, you know, they're, they're here because Rossi's namesake. Like, no, Pecco and Morbidelli are fucking champions in Moto2. Yeah, like yeah. that's the that's the first time a team had two different a, a a single team had two different riders win a championship. You know, like has there ever been a conglomerate like that? That you know, riders, I didn't. I never thought about that. Yeah, riders academy had back to back champions that weren't the same person. Yeah. I mean, Alberto, Alberto Puj's camp did it with with uh, with Pedroso when he won back to back titles in two fifties, but. Two different championships with two different riders in two different teams, all yeah. part of the same academy. Like, it's a big deal, and it's it's obvious how much effort those guys are putting in. Because if you follow that VR forty six academy on any social media platform, all you ever see is those guys out riding yeah. or in a in a fucking classroom learning how to deal with questions and learning to speak English. Like, yeah, like those guys. Like that's. There, there's a lot of effort going into that, and those guys are those guys are doing a, a fucking bang up job, and they have single handedly pushed back this Spanish Armada. Yep, that's what I'm saying. So I'm stoked to see that for sure, and I I want to see more of it. I wish it was happening in the USA, but that's a that's another podcast, right? <laughs> uh, all right, so we got we we got a good hold on uh, the rookies and new team stuff. Um, Let's go into why Honda and Ducati are sitting pretty. I'll say Honda and, and Ducati are sitting pretty because they've already decided what engine they're using next year. And they almost all, didn't even it, have to, right? It, yeah, whatever, exactly. it, iterative change happened on both of them, and it was like, this is good. Yeah, we're fine. We got plenty of power. We're all right. Because Davizioso uh, said as much, and he's like, yeah, we're not working on anything other than setting up the new bike already. Yeah. And it's like that's 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 worrying <laughs> for anybody not named Honda. That's worrying. Yeah, for sure, no doubt. And Ducati, it's even the the non factory teams don't seem to be sweating it, which is of note. It's quite a different thing compared to the 800 era, where Ducati had a fairly powerful bike that worked fairly well, but started running into reliability issues. This is back in the you know, the, the late 2000s, early teens, right? So now they're just solid, solid, solid. And, and it, it seems like development could continue on. They're probably, you know, ever, all these engines are going to get to a plateau point. You can only make so much power with so much RPM with so much CC size. And it, it, you have to iterate on it to make it usable power. So they've got the usable power. Honda has finally figured out usable power. Bizarrely, you would think that they would have that down. But no, it's Yamaha that's that's left looking at both of these teams saying, fuck. Or maybe it's just Rossi saying that. 
because you know what, Maverick seems okay. So that's another that's another thing we should probably get into later on because that's 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 going to be its own conversation. The Yamaha. Bottom line, Honda Ducati tweaking away at little bits and pieces to make the bikes more comfortable for them. We've got a situation where Cal's not there to help, but let's face it with Lorenzo, as fast as he was, even if it was just a one-lap wonder situation and he, he wasn't necessarily comfortable on, on burnt-up tires yet or whatever, still shows he's good. He put a big old fat stamp on, I'm a bad motherfucker, I'm coming out, and you're going to be watching me at the front. And Marquez is probably a little bit shaken in his boots at that, right? So... Nakagami coming out and being able to do consistent times and and be fine. It's like shoot, Honda's good, Ducati's good. They're just going to be tweaking and and doing all kinds of weird ass shit to make the bikes work for their riders. And in the Ducati <coughs> side, it was weird arrow on the tail section and a floating rear caliper holder torque arm. Right, little little tweaks like that can make a huge difference over the course of a long run, but nothing major. That's not like. That's not the meat and potatoes. That's that's the pie at the end, right? Yeah, exactly. And when was the last time a major manufacturer who was top three in the championship came out with something revolutionary and was half a second faster? It just hasn't happened. Like stuff like yeah. that doesn't happen. Yeah. Like they're 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 looking for five hundredths of a second here, six hundredths of a second there. Like they're looking yep. for that. You know, like yep. they're they're looking for those pieces. And Ducati has has always had usable power. You know, it's always been a smooth power delivery. They never really overdid it e anywhere, as far as a rear tire or front tire. Their issue was the fact that they were just kind of behind the eight ball. You know, like they just their electronics weren't on par with Honda and Yamaha's electronics when they had the proprietary software. And that's what that's where Honda suffered. I say suffered, suffered in quotes. It wasn't really that bad. When they went, <laughs> right. when they went to the spec ECU and they couldn't use their proprietary software and the electronics, that's where Ducati started getting, the ball started to swing back towards Ducati because like their power was just so smooth. They didn't have to tame the engine with the electronics and Honda did. And so that's where, you know, that, that pendulum swing came back and now their their riders are fighting the bikes. The bikes are wheeling and crazy on corner exit. And Kati had those wings that they brought back. And, you know, they started to manage wheelie with a little bit of electronics and a little bit of aerodynamics. But, you know, the bike wouldn't turn worth the crap. So, you see, you know, the, you start like, all right, man, do we want to be good on corner exit? Or do we want to be good at switching from right to left and being able to flip flop through corners like where do you want to be good at you're not going to be good everywhere but we got to be pretty good somewhere and okay somewhere else you know and and then also put yourself in a range a window where you can tune that track to track a little bit better <clears throat> right because you can't yes. like you're saying you find that sweet spot that works at Hareth might not be the sweet spot that works at Phillip Island etc cetera, etc cetera. But if you can get the window, because you only have so much of a window, right? You, you're locked in with the spec of the engine. You're locked in with the ECU. You're pretty locked in with the chassis stuff. But you can swing it one way or the other a little bit. And if the, the wider window you have and the better data you have, the more you can make those changes work. And, uh, you know, it's taken, it's taken this last decade of, of MotoGP tweaking its rules to give, this, to give us, uh, as the people watching, um, the opportunity to see some parity and it's it's worked you know and the only one that's left in the doldrums is, seems to be yamaha 
and Yamaha, Lynn Jarvis even has said as much as like, you know, maybe we took some things for granted, you know, maybe and like they just haven't taken the risk. They've, they've rested on their laurels of this is work for a time and memorial and this is how we do it. And it's, you know, it's not that era anymore. And there was, there was rumors and, and talks that Lynn Jarvis was going to step down and let somebody else take over the team. But I don't really see that happening, but, you know, we'll get to that yeah. later on. They probably need to weather the storm. I, I would say having worked for a Yamaha-based race team over a decade ago, there's an interesting culture that goes along. And I, I know that this my situation was in the U.S. Is it Yamaha for, or is it just a Japanese culture? Well, that's the question. Is like, cause we're, we're, That's what I was saying. I, I was working for a team that was a satellite of the Yamaha factory U.S. team. So I would, we'd get all the trickle down, and then we would also get a lot of information from Japan. That we had a little bit more of a mainline than you would think, but at the time, the AMA Superbike Series was a big deal from a marketing standpoint and from a bike sales standpoint. So we were actually getting quite a bit of data from them and help. So I got to see that then, and then watching, you know, and that was also at the same time the first few years that MotoGP was going to Laguna Seca. So getting to interact with the various entities that were there and seeing how they were doing the thing. I think Yamaha, as with a lot of these manufacturers, they will hold on to a sacred cow of mechanical signature. And from Yamaha, it's been the cross-plane inline four. I think they had it when nobody else had their shit together. They came out with a, an amazing design in that cross-plane to change the firing order, to make it behave, to be honest with you, like a V4. And they killed it. Rossi killed it. And then Lorenzo killed it. And it was amazing. And it worked for years and years and years. I think we've reached a point where they have to make a decision whether that <clears> architecture <throat> is worth it. Are the balances that they're giving with the, with the motor, with power production, good enough to, to go against all the rest of these V4s, right? All the V4s like the Ducati. Oh, well, you can't have a 90-degree V4. Um, bullshit. Right. So there's a there's a lot of that kind of going on. Like, I don't know. Does everybody have to end up with a V4? Maybe not. But, you know, you see this, the pointy end of any large series. You'll see often engine architectures end up becoming very similar to each other. And the V4 is a divine engine platform. I'll say it straight up. It's an amazing thing. Right. My favorite motorcycle of all time is a Honda RC30. They were the first to perfect the V4 both two-stroke and four-stroke. Honda has it down. Ducati had to acquiesce to, to the V4 because there was no other way to make. They weren't going to make a V-twin do what it, what it needed to do in MotoGP in the beginning. So then they're locked into that mechanical signature and architecture to a point. Their thing is Desmo valve actuation. Honda, their V4, they're good to go. They've had V4s for 40 years. They're, they're fine. They'll keep doing it. Yamaha, they had the Venture Royale, with a, I think that had a V4. I'm pretty sure that's that's about it. The Royale with cheese is what I used to call it. Uh, the V Max, right? The 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 Yamaha V Max. They have V4s. They could do it easily and have a mechanical signature. They'd be fine. But I think they're holding on to it. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know. I'm not. It's it's easy to say from the cheap seats, my friend. Absolutely. It's very but, easy to speculate. But Suzuki certainly did it. You know, they they had to go in in their scenario. They had to go from a, a Marauder V4 to making a MotoGP bike that wasn't a Jixa, right? So it's <laughs> and it's working, man. 
first time I set eyes on that was Coda many years ago, and I was like, ooh, I love it. I loved it. I loved it from the get-go, <laughs> and I'm not even a Suzuki fan. I was like, this thing is it's beautiful, and it's wicked. And they've iterated on it so well. It looks so good right now. So seeing Juan Mir go out and be able to haul ass as much as he is, and of course, Renz, he, doing what he's done over the last few races of the season, it's like, hell yeah, get them up there. And Yamaha now has to be scared. And Rossi even had to name drop Suzuki when he was saying, uh, we're going to have to keep up with the Ducatis and the Suzukis. It's like, oof, that's probably a shot across the bow of the Yamaha factory to say, because they know they are up against the, uh, a tough one with Honda and, and Ducati. But to, to poke in Suzuki there, that means it's like, oof, those, them's fighting words. Well, and you say that, but it's almost an obvious thing, if you ask me. like. Suzuki was better than the Yamaha this year, in my opinion. I think it was. I think it was a better bike. Yeah. I think. I, I think the vet, I think the veteran status of Rossi made the Yamaha look better. I think the 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 fire that's in the belly of of Maverick Vinales made the Yamaha look better at times, but only only at the end of the year, though, right? It's not like he was consistently good. He was always kind of. He's got his own mental thing. But let, put Rossi on a Suzuki. He would have been up there more. I'm not saying he would be winning, but he would have been up there further, I think. Yeah, I mean, the, the Suzuki, they fixed their engine with the, with the concessions. They got their engine fixed. The, the reports this year, or I'll say this year, through testing so far, is that the engine has more power, and it's yeah. usable power. So they, they're in a better stead there. They got consistency with Renz coming back, who's, you know, who's like I said before, his star is, is starting to shine, and he is rising. And he's got a legendary fro that I have nothing but respect <laughs> for. But the, the newcomer, Juan Mir, you know, he had – he's a rookie, you know. Like, he, he did what you thought a rookie would do. You know, he's still trying to carry crazy corner speed like on a Moto2, Moto3 bike. But he, he's figuring it out, and he had a big crash. A big crash. A you know, big fuck-off crash. 200-plus kilometers, you know, 125-mile-an-hour crash, and came back to the garage, went to Clinica Mobile, got checked out, came back, got back on his second bike, and went faster than he'd ever gone on his first flying lap. In the first flying lap, yeah. So it was like, okay, you're mentally tough. You are not merely a Moto2 rider. <laughs> but <laughs> sorry yeah good i'm stoked i'm so stoked i love seeing the other manufacturers up in it um so speaking of that let's talk about the ones that are not up in it we've already covered ktm pretty well poor aprilia let's no, we, we got to talk about yamaha a little bit more i i, I gotta i gotta get back on okay yamaha. yeah no no you're right absolutely for uh, sure we haven't even really delved into that because this is this is arguably the most and i couldn't tell if this is moto gp stirring the shit in their broadcast or whether this is really a problem, but watching Rossi and his watching uh, watching Rossi's interviews tells you that this is the tip of the iceberg of Yamaha pushing the old dog out again. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what it told me. Yeah, because if you talk to uh, Silvano Galvachera, like that when they had that interview with him, he's like, "Yeah, you know, we pretty well decided on the engine, and you know, it's 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 got good points, it's got bad points, it's." But you know we're we're headed in the right direction, 
Maverick Vinales' interviews. Yeah, I was really happy. We got to work on the traction a little bit, but that's electronics, blah, blah, blah. The bike's good. I'm happy. Talk to Rossi. This is a fourth-place bike if somebody else crashes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it's like it's it's the, the team is telling him without telling him. It's like, hey, man, sorry, bro. This, this isn't your team anymore. Well, do you feel, I mean, do you feel that smart with him doing what he did this year? Again, proving that he's the greatest of all time. He continues as a freaking 40-year-old to to put it up there as high up as he does, way ahead of Maverick over the course of time, showing that he can do it, and in the end, crashing a couple times, showing that he's still pushing. <laughs> like, the dude has talent, but it's like, how much how much do you want to put into the person who is just turning 40 and can only, right, you only have so much more time before your, your reflexes are going to relax a little bit, your computing power is going to kind of go down a little bit. I don't know, man. I'm, I, I'm stricken because I'm such a Rossi fan, but I also and have to face the reality, right? But to me, it's not even a debate. It's, it's not even up for question. You follow Maverick. It's like in a year's time when Rossi's 41, you're still just going to piss on Maverick, who... You know, you brought in to be the next hotshot. Like, at some point in time, he's going to start to feel like he's not valued and he's going to want to go somewhere else. You know, yeah. he didn't he didn't, he didn't, didn't join Yamaha to be Rossi's teammate. He joined Yamaha to be a champion. And that's... It's, 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 it's true. It's, it's, man, this is the tip of the iceberg of them pushing the old dog out again. And it's not a knock against Yamaha. It's what you have to do. Yeah, it's like, a tough one. Yeah, it's you, a- you want that... We all want to see Rossi get that tenth title, right? Like that's sure. that's that's the real thing. It's like we all want to see him get that tenth title, but it's not going to happen. It's not. Gonna, <laughs> it's not going to happen, and yeah. it's not going to happen because he's not going to consistently beat Marquez, Davizioso, and Lorenzo. Like it's, yeah. it, it's teammate, you know. Like he's got four guys in there that are that are, in my opinion, that are better than him. You know, it's yeah. it's hard to say that being a Rossi fan for as long as I was, but you know that's kind of why I I took myself out of being a fan of riders and being a fan of the sport because yeah. you let, it opens your eyes to the fact of like, yeah, man, Rossi still is really, really, really good. He is still a beast on two wheels without question, but he's still the fourth, fifth best rider on the grid. Like you can't yeah. argue. You cannot yeah. argue. He didn't win a race this year. He was in position in Malaysia. He was in a great position to win that race, but he, he was putting in, he was putting in ninety nine and a half percent. He was on it. He was on the limit, you know, for eight ten laps in a row. But all he ever kept seeing on his pit board was Marquez plus point six, Marquez plus point five. Marquez plus 0.7. He couldn't, he was riding at his limit and he couldn't pull away from Marquez and he buckled. Yeah. You know, he, he buckled he like he in. used to make all the other riders. Everybody for, else, buckled. right? He's, a, he's at uh, that stage and he's been there for a while. We'll, we'll have to Rossi, say the old, the old dog's been there for a while. Yeah. Rossi got Rossi by Marquez. <laughs> he did. With that said, he's still up there. He's still third in the championship as the, the 40 fun year old, right? So, I still, I still say get him on a, a better machine and he might be able to get up there. But you're right. There's no, there's no point in doing that now because once he turns 40 fun, 
it's just going to start getting more downhill, more downhill. Whereas you've got Maverick, who he might be a little hot-headed a bit. Like, I don't know. But he's, he's approaching this very interestingly. He changed his number from 25 to 12, going back to what he used to run. He, he recognized that, man, this is the loose nut behind the bars type of thing, where he's like, I needed to start fresh. I had my two worst seasons at championship level in a, in a row on a MotoGP bike. So I'll, out of all my years, I've done so well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start fresh, number 12, and I'm going to come out fucking just guns blazing. And he did it. He's good, right? So and hopefully. That's, and that's uh, the, the thing that struck me about all of Maverick's interviews is that he was happy. You saw him yeah. smiling in the, in the pit box. You saw him, you know, you saw a, a guy who was happy, peaceful, and content, almost as if he knew something we didn't. You know what I mean? Well, like, there's a little bit of theater going on there, and the same with Rossi. I think Rossi, uh, it's it's tough guy theater, right? That's a Kevin Cameron quote. Tough guy theater going on out there. They're like, Rossi's like looking dour, and they've got the lighting, and it's kind of dark, and he's just looking dour, and he's talking about, uh, you know, maybe it's a fourth place bike if somebody crashes. And then you got Maverick having a r- r- be the person that's like going to be the the positive one, and it'll be interesting to see who Yamaha chooses to. Uh, acquiesce to right i mean there is there an acquiescent have they decided which engine there is it sounded like rossi was like oh yeah yeah yeah, this is a given but hearing a couple other people say maybe not and then if, well, if they don't choose the thing that rossi wants how is that gonna what is what does that portend for the future and like like i said like yamaha is in a point now where what it, it it's weird because yamaha is in a spot to where Everything that they know and love and everything that they've done up until this point is no longer working. Yeah. You know, the Rossi way, the, the, the development of the bike that Rossi wanted doesn't really work anymore. They you know, haven't the adapted. Old, they need to the adapt old, a little bit more. Absolutely. The old guard and, like I said, with, with uh, Maverick and Ramon Forcada having their, their arguments about how to ride the bike and how to set the bike up. Once they started doing what Vinales wanted, then the results got better for both riders. Yeah. And I think I think that can't that can't go unnoticed. And the fact that it was like, okay, man, maybe we have to do things in this new weird way. And if you watch any of those videos and watch Maverick at uh, at the Hereth test, every corner he exited, he was on throttle hard, and the bike was was you know was out of alignment as far as yes. the, the tires goes he was sliding on corner exit and you don't see yamaha's do that it's like you got to ride the bike smooth and this and that it's like i think the new version of the yamaha is going to be a hybrid honda ducati bike to where it has great drive grip exiting a corner but you kind of have to ride it a little loose and be a little aggressive with it to make it work that's gonna i think that's gonna be the future of the yamaha under vinales and I yeah, can't I say that's... that's a bad thing, man, because I love watching the bikes when they're loose and gnarly. Seeing a, one video of Marquez almost crashing his brains out, the normal Marquez on the Honda at the test, is like, you want to watch that. You want to see somebody that is visibly pushing. And the visibility yeah. of it is in a bike that's wiggling and moving and doing all the shit. It makes it better for all of us to watch, for sure. That's why, that's why Stoner was such great theater. Yeah. It's like the bike was never like it was the but the tires were always yeah. out of alignment. The bars were always crossed up. The thing was fucking you know pumping on corner exit because the rear tire was spinning. You know like that gives you that impression of like 
this is, you know, like like I said, you know, you get that you get that edge of the seat thing, like, oh, is it gonna crash? We're gonna crash. Ah! And you get wound up about it. It's it's a cool thing, man. It is, but then after the race, you'd have to listen to him whine and moan, and I couldn't. I can't handle that. I can't be supportive of that. Come on, man. You can't. You can't be a hater your whole life, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I can. I can certainly. <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, there's, right. there's, there's no law against being a hater. There's nope. no law. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. I'm. In, I'm not saying I'm in the right, but I'm good to go. All right. So Yamaha. That's pretty well covered. The chassis is obviously good. The motor, maybe electronics, uh, grip, grip while the bike, it, while the tire is warm, right? That's just the issue with Yamaha. That's the issue with everybody. Everybody's got to manage it, but it's where Yamaha is obviously in a problem. So that's the one thing I'd, I'd warn everybody about relative to Morbidelli and who was Morbidelli's team? Quattararo. Oh, Quattararo. Oh, geez, we didn't even cover Quattararo. Well, We'll have to do that at the uh, at the Malaysia test. So Quartararo, Morbidelli, and uh, Vinales doing so well, but I think it's a little bit masked by like a hey, we need to throw a, a heater tire out there and go put down a lap time just to make ourselves feel good. So I think that's what's going on. Not a hey, we were out there for thirty laps and your lap time was within point zero zero one of the first right at the end. So that's. That's what they need, and that's what Ducati and Honda have right now. They have the ability to, to manage the tire better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I guess last thing on the list is the, uh, the fact that KTM and Aprilia were kind of a no-show. But we kind of already did. As far as lap time. Yeah, as far as lap time. As far as lap time. Uh, we kind of danced though, around the, the KTM thing with, you know, they got four 2019 bikes on the grid, which is which is going to be a benefit to them. The Aprilia team, you know, you got Ianone, you got a new rider who who uh, had several crashes over the two two day test, several crashes, yeah. and was seen when and was seen visibly limping in his pit box. And you got Alicia Spargaro who. Missed the day at, at Hareth due to uh, illness. He was actually sick and couldn't ride one day. And, and then, then you have Brad, Brad Smith. Yeah, then you have Bradley Smith on the bike, who, uh, who in my opinion, has never impressed anybody ever, other than the way the guy talks on the <laughs> Hey, You know what? It's like anybody that's British, they automatically get 20 IQ points, and they're faster and better because their uh, accent, right? Yeah, they they know how to tell you what's wrong with the bike. They don't, man. Look, Bradley Smith got that got that Tech Three ride because he rode for the Tech Twelve team in Moto Two. Bradley Smith didn't warrant that ride, like, and they got him on that KTM because they, you know, there was nobody else available. They needed somebody. Yeah, yeah, there was nobody else available to sign. Bradley Smith ain't ever set the world alight with his pace, uh, and that's you know that's not a knock against him because he's fucking faster than I am on a bike. <laughs> but it's a knock but against he, him. <laughs> but it is a knock against him in the fact that he's, you know, occupying a seat that could be taken by somebody else. Yeah. Uh, but having him as a test rider, I think I think he will be a better test rider than he was a GP rider because yeah. there's no pressure. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I mean his his feedback on a bike it probably is outstanding, and that is going to help. And he is, you know, he can push a bike close to the limit. You know, he's he's not going to get you that final three, four tenths, but he's going to get you in the ballpark. 
Yeah. And that's what they need. They they just need more data and well, they need more than that, but <sighs> I don't know what it really needs, man. It looks like they need every single thing. And unfortunately, MotoGP is a very expensive deal. And I don't know if they have the budget to do the thing that they need to do. I, it seems like they do. It seems like they should. And they have a lot of bitch and brain power behind them. But mm. somebody's lost the plot, man. It's similar to KTM. But I, it's again, it's tough from the cheap seats. It's like, what is holding these back? Oh, well, it's the trellis chassis on the KTM. Bullshit. I call bullshit on that. Oh, it's... Uh, you, you name it on the Aprilia, it's like, I don't know, man. Maybe they did fuck up the design architecture. It's a completely different V4 than their stalwart RSV4 street bike engine, which is arguably one of the best engines that's ever been made, ever. So something went wrong. And it, I think it's at such a high level of structure, whether it be frame or engine, that I don't know if they're going to be able to overcome it. I'm not sure about it. Because they've you know had what? some... You know what? You know what? Aprilia's biggest problem was they lost Gigi Delia. Yeah. Well, they lost. They lost Gigi. They lost the structure that their team was based in. And I think one thing that will help their GP team is on the financial side. Is they don't. They're no longer in World Supervised. Yeah. Well, they're no longer because of that, right? They're no longer in both paddocks, so they're just their their sole focus is on their. <laughs> two GP bikes as far as their race department goes. And they just they, they, they need to figure out that structure because the the Apria GP team isn't a full factory team. They provide bikes for the Grassini MotoGP team. Like it's 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 Grassini Aprilia. It's not Aprilia Grassini. You know, it's not the other way around. Their first bike in the GPs when Marco Melandri was on it was basically like a hybrid GP bike with the, the RSV4 engine in it, you know? It yeah, was down that, probably 60 horsepower. Yeah, and it's not that way now. It is a bespoke thing. And I got to talk to the Romano Albiciano. I'm sorry, I'm just Americanizing that name. A-L-B-E-S-I-N-I-A-N-O. Albeciano. Albert a really good dude. Yeah, I got to meet him last year Coda. And he was such an awesome guy. And I got to BS with him about his days back at Kajiva when they were making carbon frames for the Kajiva 500. He's been around the block. He knows what's going on. But I'm worried that he doesn't have the the money behind him to do the thing. And as you're saying, if it is, I, I really don't know enough about the team structure to understand it. I, as far as I was concerned, I thought it was an Aprilia effort. But you're right. There's no, probably a little bit of like... It is absolutely not an Aprilia effort. It is... Grissini had the grid slots, and they are supplied Aprilia motorcycles, and that is where the power struggle comes in. To where it's a, what's his name, the Grissini guy? He wants to run the team, and he wants Albertiano to be on the marketing side, bringing in money, being you know, developing the bike. Like they're they're both trying to run the team, and Albertiano can't do both. You know, like yeah, there's that yeah. power struggle where it's like, hey man. Where Grassini's like, hey, I want you to do this. You know, Fausto Grassini's like, hey, man, you go do this side. Let me manage the team and let me do the race, the, you know, the race the race weekend management. Let me take care of that. You go do this side. And, you know, Abraciano wants to, it's kind of got his hands in both and it's, it's, it's sending a mixed message. Okay, I uh, agree. There is a, there's a lot of mixed messages. It's obviously broken. They're going to have to do something to fix it. I, 
think in the future you're going to see a shakeup with Aprilia. It's going to have to because they they have so much potential energy and their ability to make championship winning motorcycles. They have done it over and over and over again for the past 30 years. They can do it. I think we all had higher hopes that they would be better by this time, but somebody's lost the plot. And if it's Fausto or if it's Aprilia themselves or if it's, uh, it's Romano, something's going to happen, right? I just yeah, don't I, see a winning bike being the, the, the thing. Yeah, I, it's it's hard for me to think that it's Fausto Grassini because, I mean, that guy raced, you know, like he don't want any parts of the other shit. He wants to deal with the race weekend and keeping his riders on, a, on an even keel. But part of the problem with Aprilia is that now you have your first, you know, your first years, you had Stefan Brottel and uh, Marco Melandri. Then you had Alvaro Bautista. Then you had Alicia Spargaro. Then you had Scott Redding. And now you have Ian One. Like, there's no consistency. Yeah. Like that. And that's a big deal. You know, if you're constantly shuffling riders and crew chiefs and and just people in your team it's hard to build continuity and you know that's kind of the reason why you know marquez and dovizioso are kind of shining it's like those guys have been with the same teams and the same crew chiefs dealing with the same people and they haven't they haven't been building a relationship they're perfecting their methods you know what i mean and that's why you see i'll say the cream rising to the top and i think that's why peco benyaya is going to have a chance to he's going to get I think he's going to he's going to really threaten Jack Miller's position easily easily not even a question and I love because, Jack because he has uh he has uh what you call it as his crew chief I just removed his name now Christian Gavarini who worked with Stoner in Stoner's championship year and he was Lorenzo's crew chief last year so I mean he's got he's part of that Ducati family he's yeah. you know he he's he knows the bike and he's Gigi is has said as much on you know quoted as saying, Hey, you know, Peko is who we're staking our future on. He's gonna be our future race winner, our future champion, and we've and we've given him every opportunity to shine by giving him the best technician, the best mechanic, and the best crew chief. And that says a lot, you know, that means a lot, you know, to to give that young kid that and then to have him back their investment by going out he didn't crash. He hasn't crashed yet. You know, yeah. he's gone out on, and they've purposefully sent him out on, on worn tires and made minute changes with the bike, let him know what they did, and then his feedback from them is like, all right, I felt the changes, and the bike felt this way, and I'm happy with it. And, like, that that rapport, I, if there was a wet race, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if Pekka was on a podium next year. Yeah, no doubt. He's showing remarkable maturity, and I, I think he's in a really good spot. I think Ducati's in a good spot. And go back to your Ducati evaluation in general, it's all GG. And I think the, the successes that Aprilia had in World Superbike with its V4 were definitely a lot of GG. And that culture has obviously left Aprilia with GG and gone to Ducati, because Ducati was, to be honest with you, it was the clusterfuck that Aprilia is now. I think it's just an inherent part of Italian culture, man. Having worked for Ducati for seven years, I got to see it from the inside. There's goods and bads. It's a weirdly double-edged sword. It's like a triple-edged sword, man. It's so bizarre. You get to see what they do. 
like they're brilliant and they're amazing thing. But then you see some of the stuff they do is from a from a way it's run standpoint, from the structure of it's like, what the heck? So they need somebody with a brain of, of Gigi and to get in there and just get it sorted and make it happen. And look what he's done, man. It's it's obviously worked. It's amazing to watch. And you said and, and you said it there. And I don't think you realize like the importance of what you said, but it's the structure. Gigi didn't bring new ideas. He just brought in a new method to streamline like, OK, yeah. this is your job. This is your job. This is your job. And the head of each one of these departments, we're all going to get together and talk and then we're going to come to a conclusion. Yeah. You know, it, it's not. Yeah. All right, all right, we'll try what you think, and okay, we'll try what you think next, and then we'll try what you think, you know, in three races. It's like, no, what did all of y'all think about this race? Now let's work towards a solution together. That's what GG brought, and that's why the Ducati is so good on all levels. Like even the old Ducatis are fucking good, and <laughs> like like we talked about, like we talked about with the, uh, you know, data mining is that, you know, there's a there's a Ducati technician as far as suspension. And the electronics in every Ducati garage, whether it be the factory team, Pramac, or any of their other, you know, down the down the order satellite teams, you know, they all get that preferential treatment. They all get to look at all those guys get to look at Davizioso's data. Like they all get to see all that shit. Like there's no, there's no like, all right, man. Well, you guys aren't paying enough to see this shit. You know what I mean? Like, kind of how Yamaha did Tech Three. Yeah. Like, all right, man, like, look, you guys are, are, are buying like, you know, we are on the A spec bike, but you guys are on the C spec bike. So whenever we come up with something new, three or four races, if we feel like it, you guys will get it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure. It's not how that's not how they're doing it. And even the, the Patronus team, like they got like if Yamaha has an A spec bike, they have a B spec bike. And it's just like it's that. I think there's going to be a, 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 a like a two to three race gap to where the tech the uh, the Patronus team gets the upgrades that the factory team gets like two to three races later. So they're gonna they're gonna be the gap between Yamaha and Patronus is going to be closer than the gap between Yamaha and Tech Three was. Hopefully, they, they, well, no, they, they've said as much. They've said yeah. as much. Like, we're we're paying for a a better spec of bike than take three was. And you think that that on the Ducati side is more just part of the culture instead of, uh, you know, is that part of their structure? Cause I haven't really, it's tough to say, but I've seen with the way Jack Miller's been going, it's obvious that they're the Pramac team. They're on a lower spec or a different spec bike, but it's pretty freaking good. Right. And they've been able to do that for now at least a year. And here's the thing is that they did it with, uh, with uh, Petrucci this yeah. this year, I think last yeah. year, he was on a factory bike, like yeah, the same true. same spec factory bike, and his team and his teammate was on the the older spec bike, like Petrucci and Jack Miller, like, and that's a weird thing with Jack Miller is that he skipped a spec of Ducati bike because this past season he was on the 2017 bike, but with Petrucci leaving the team. And Peko coming in, like he's now the team leader, so to speak. And so he's now on this year's bike. So uh, Jack Miller never rode the 2018 bike. Huh. <laughs> so yeah. he went from Weird. the 2017 bike to the 2019 bike. And he seemed and, pretty happy. And he was the one that got the cheers from his team when he came in 
and he was what in seventh uh, for the test, which from a from a lap time standpoint. But I have a feeling there was more to it than just his lap time. He probably was an animal. He tested a bunch of shit, and they got a lot done, and they were stoked, right? Yeah, I think it was either he tested a bunch of stuff and confirmed a bunch of stuff, or he set his lap time on you know fifteen lap old tires. You know, yeah. like that's sure. that's what that says to me. Like, why the fuck would they be clapping for him for seventh place? He like, <laughs> you well, know, like, yeah, that, for sure, for sure. Um, another thing I want to, well, last thing I want to bring up is something that I thought we should note, which is Alvaro Batista going to the World Superbike, and this is an interesting thing. You don't get to see this too often, where a test for Superbike happens at the same track within the same few days at the test for MotoGP. So Bautista, and he's not somebody I've ever really rated that high. You know, he's he's a crasher. You know, so he's, to see him, he's a he's a lacious Yeah, what do you mean by that? He's had a GP career that was probably seven years longer than it should have been. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. You're right. But so, but he just he was he's kind of part he's kind of that guy that you know he was good in the lower classes. He moved up. He got shuffled around. He was always kind of he was always kind of brushed aside for the next best thing, and that's not his fault, you know. Like, yeah, sure. He was always new to a team. He was always getting on a new bike. He was always having to adapt. New crew chief, new team, new methods, and that's you know, and the the same thing can be said for Scott Redding. You know, like it wasn't ever his fault that he was booted out of a team and had to go somewhere else. Well, no, but it's, it's arguable. Shit. It depends on the situation when you get booted and you're moved around and you just haven't done the thing. But you're right. I think he was a bit of a victim of getting tossed around too much. But he's come good. And, and what I wanted to say is that he, he's gotten the ride on the, on the factory Ducati World Superbike and was hauling ass immediately on a significantly different machine on Pirelli tires. That's of note. Then yeah, on a different machine cons- on different tires. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's in, and it was within, like, he would have been the first day of the test, of the MotoGP test, his lap time on the Superbike would have put him right next to Valentino Rossi on the grid of a GP race. Shows you how good those Superbikes are. I mean, I know that's like 17th or something like that. It was back there. But... It's of note that the, the bike's good, and he's good, and he came, and they've invited him to come back and retest on the MotoGP bike. Like, going again back to the data mining and the, the, the brain level of Ducati, they don't give a shit. They want to see as much data from as many people as they possibly can, get them out there, put them on the bike, get the testing done. Really cool. Really cool to see. And it also shows a level of respect. And, like, you know, that, that whole thing of, like, Hey, look, man, we love you to death, but we got to make room for Paco. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, we got to make we got to make room for the future. But we want you to know that we value and respect you. So we're going to send you to World Superbike. We're going to put you on a factory bike with every advantage you could possibly have. And you know what else? If you're willing to agree to it, will you help us test a new bike? Yeah, you know what I mean? Cool. Like yep. that means that that means something. You know, like it, it's it's uh, you know, for, like I said, for me, man, that 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 really means something. It's not about, and I I really do believe that 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 Ducati family mindset to where it's like, no, we are all Ducati. We're not, yeah. you know, we're not just supplying you with a bike. And they and they learned that lesson from Honda when Honda had those 
shit production bikes and you yeah. know uh, they actually yeah. asked not they actually asked the uh, nagamoto-san about the production honda that such and such was riding and he's like like he had no idea like he had no idea they were even providing that bike for this person and this spec like he had no fucking clue <laughs> and that's you know and that's it's it's not even really a knock against him. It's more just a knock against Hondo. The fact that, yeah. like, like, we don't care about this shit. When, yeah, it, I, I think it, that it was, was, unfortunately, it was probably Nikki Hayden that was on that. No, it was it was when Jack Miller jumped on that bike. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was, yeah, it was when Jack jumped from Moto3 to MotoGP, and they made that, you know, that pussyfied fucking Honda to, to pacify him, you know? Let's call it. Let's call it pacified. Let's just call it pacified. Weak ass fucking Honda. <laughs> yeah, I'm already, I've, I've had I've had three beers, so I'm already, I'm loosening it up. It like there's 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 no stone about to be unturned right now. <laughs> well, I think that's pretty much the the great summation of the tests up to this point, and a great start to the. 2019 season, wouldn't you say? Do we need to cover any other thing? Is there anything else you want to spot? I'll give a shout out to the unsung heroes who probably have never gotten a shout out ever, and that's Michelin. Michelin yeah. have done have done a bang up job. Like they were they were told, hey man, we want durable tires. When we want them to fall off at the end of the race, we want every speck of tire that you bring to a race should be a possibility as a race choice we don't want soft tires that are are qualifying specials yeah we want tires that under the right circumstances you could race any of the tires that are in the allocation for any said weekend we want to see that and they did a bang up job and with you know you sprinkle that in with you know the the spec ecu the limitations on this, the restrictions here, this and that. Like, when has MotoGP been more competitive and more compelling to watch every weekend? When? Yeah. It's 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 been a very long time. It's been a very long I mean, we had what probably a half a dozen races this season where ten laps into the race there were eight guys in the leading group. That doesn't yeah. happen very often, you know, like that's rare. You know, as, as as silly as it sounds, that's that's very rare for MotoGP. Yeah, I look and forward to, to it happening in the future because I think that's what's going to be happening. Yeah, and it's it's only going to get better because everybody's starting to realize that if we take care of our satellite teams, it makes us look better as a team. Yeah, I agree. Because like, it wasn't until Ducati started doing like, hey, you know what? Let's put another factory bike in our in our in our number one satellite team, like and then who follows suit? Honda. Yeah. Now Cal's got a now Cal's on a factory contract with a factory bike, and I guarantee you that it's not going to be very long before Franco Morbidelli's on a factory bike in that yeah. Petronas team. Yeah. And KT, KTM is doing it. KTM's got four factory bikes on the grid, and it's going to be a power struggle next year. To see who gets those second set of Suzukis that are going to be on the grid, because somebody's going to want them. Yeah, sure, <laughs> dude. So exciting! It's so good. Somebody's going to want those factory Suzukis, because I guarantee you, Alex Rins is going to win a race next year, and it's going to be so perfect because he's going to stand up on that podium with that Michelin hat on, with his fro puffing out the sides, and it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Maybe it'll be the same podium with more Bedelli, and they'll have the throw of that, that right. weird they'll, thing. They'll, they'll, up, they'll all be poking up there, right? Dude, they're gonna stand. They're gonna stand back. It's gonna be. It's gonna be Rins, Morbidelli, and Peko Benyaya, and they're gonna sit on the podium with Afro picks picking out the throws. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. <laughs> All right, fingers crossed for that moment. Right, they're gonna they're gonna have fucking Michelin sponsored Afro picks picking out their throws. <laughs> Or no, actually, I think that back. It'll be Monster Energy Drink. Yeah, it will. It'll be a monster hook. It'll be the three-prong Afro pick, right? Brilliant, <laughs> dude. Write that down. Let's sell it to. Let's sell it to them. We're gonna make millions. <laughs> All right, man. I think that's uh, that covers it for this episode. I love it, Quentin. Always a pleasure, my friend. Always a pleasure. For sure, I'll say for those for the listeners. Unless it's time to break, keep it WFO. Wide fucking open, partner. All right. <laughs> <laughs>